Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe this message will encourage you as you grow your faith and your relationship with Jesus. Grab your notebook and a pen as we get right into the message. All right. Hey, this morning, guys, I am super excited. First off, I want to welcome not only those that are watching online this morning, but I also want to welcome our Warrensburg location. Come on. Can we give it up for Warrensburg this morning? Yeah. They are joining us live this morning for this message. This is an incredible time. I've been looking forward to today for several months because this morning we have the opportunity to hear from my pastor, the leader of the Southern Missouri Ministry Network, great friends of ours. Uh, Would you please give a warm Encounter Church welcome to my pastor, our pastor, Pastor Don Miller. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, it's so, we have been looking forward to being here. I just want to say a special thank you to Pastor Chris and Angie. They are very, very special to us. You see them ministering on Sunday. Many times you're not going to see what they're doing throughout the week, not only at this church, but also involved in the ministry network. Pastor Chris serves as a presbyter. And that is an overseer over the Sedalia area. And so because of that, I'm in regular contact with him, sometimes more contact than we would desire to be as we're walking through situations with churches and helping them to move forward for the kingdom of God. He is a great leader. I love having him in the room because he doesn't just speak to this, but when we meet as a full presbytery, he is there and, and speaks into things as we're moving things forward. Angie, of course, his precious wife, and she walks alongside Vicky. Vicky has a ministry called Refresh. I don't even have time to hit all that today, but it's to pastors, to ministers' wives, those who are male ministers. They have wives to their wives and also to credentialed women. And uh, Angie is just a right hand, and I appreciate them so much. But what I love probably the most is the fact that about 10 years ago, I stood before this congregation. It was much smaller then, about 30, 40 people, something like that. And I said, listen, the reason that we're so interested in you is because God wants to do something amazing in the Sedalia area. And I believe that this young man right here can take you guys and gals to another place to radically affect your community for Christ. And that is exactly what they have done. In my line of work, and a lot of times, and I don't want to get into it today because I have much more important things to talk about, I have to deal with some tough situations. And I will literally, I kid you not, something will hit my plate that's not too much fun going on with a church, and I'll start down the highway and I'll say, but things are okay there. And things are awesome there. And Sedalia somewhere, Sedalia Encounter somewhere will come into the equation because things are going awesome at Sedalia Encounter. And Warrensburg, yeah. Welcome, Warrensburg. So I love what God is doing. So thank you, Pastor Chris, Angie, and team. What amazing team that they built for allowing us to be here with you today. We can't tell you how much we love you and appreciate you. The message today is a little bit of a different message. Um, I'm always 
I have preached this message. I won't even try to figure out how many times I preached it. And I don't apologize for that because even Sesame Street repeats, okay? With different groups of people from universities to local churches. And it always gets my heart when God prompts my heart and says, yes. It's almost like giving me permission. Yes, you can preach that this week, okay? Because there's something powerful that God is getting ready to speak into hearts and lives in these next few moments. And it's not because I'm here. I just get to be the mouthpiece. I just get to be the messenger of God's word today. Here's what I want to hit upon. And, and, uh, and on the same time, when I'm sharing this message, there's a little bit of fear and trepidation because we're going we're gonna, to plow a little bit deep today. And I know that what's going to happen in this room today is there's going to be some scabs ripped off of some people. Matter of fact, you're going to not be very happy with me partway through the message today. Because there's some things that some of you have been trying to just keep pushed down. But the problem is, I remember when individuals have surgery and sometimes they'll get staph infection. And it's really a scary thing because of the fact that the only way that they can heal is they have to leave them open and let them heal from inside out. And some of you have some stuff inside of you that's been blocked off and held inside and it's still affecting every area of your life. It's affecting every relationship that you are walking in. It's affecting every opportunity that you encounter. It is running in the background like the apps on your phone, sapping your energy and keeping you from being all that Jesus wants you to be. And today we're gonna rip scab off. We're gonna give God an opportunity to deal very specifically with you. Now, I understand. Here's the deal. The message, not everybody is going through that. I understand that. Well, take it for a friend, okay? But the message will, something of this message today will impact everybody's life because the Word of God is real. It's live. It comes right down to our hearts. But there is a group of individuals in this service this morning that God intended for me to be here today on July 16. Is that right? 16? July 16, 2023. In this service, to speak to you. Are you ready for God to speak to you? And will you receive what he has to say? We're going to start off with scripture today. Finally, John chapter 19, verse 16 and following. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him. And with him, two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Jumping down to verse 23. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes Often when we reflect on the scene of the cross, we're reminded of the sacrifice that Jesus, our Lord, made for us. There is a passage that we often use when we're taking the Lord's Supper or communion, and it's Paul speaking to the church of Corinth, and he says, as often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you do so in remembrance of him. We are reminded, it says, until he returns. We are reminded every time that we take of communion, we're reminded of his death. We are reminded of what Jesus went through for us. 
You see, here's the thing why the cross was so important. When we think on the cross, we're reminded of the fact that God's holiness demanded justice. Now understand this. I've got a brother-in-law. I love him. His children are grown now. But he used to. He wanted to make sure if he was getting on to his kids. You know how you'll give your kids one more chance to get it straightened out? Well, he was afraid that they might forget that he had told them they had one more chance. So he said, if you do that two more times. He wanted to give some latitude there. But God couldn't do that. God's holiness demanded justice because we had sinned. There had to be penalty. And the problem with that is the only justice for us was the death penalty. Oh, that's for somebody. No, 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 no. It doesn't matter how small, you know how bad they are. I'm not near as bad as they. It doesn't matter. Whatever sin that you have committed, it is as if you have, you have violated the entire law. You are guilty and you have one penalty that will suffice and that is the death penalty. But we don't stop there. Jesus took our place. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God. He took our sin for us. Now, he took our guilt. You know, we have a unique thing in our our court system today, and that is that someone can be brought, they they can be charged, they can come before a judge, they can be convicted of a crime, but the judge looks at them and says, you know what? This is the first time that you've gotten really serious trouble. You seem to be a pretty good guy or gal. I'll tell you what, here's what we're going to do. You're still guilty, but I'm going to put you on parole or probation. I'm going to put you on probation. Here's the deal. I'm going to not put you in jail, but you're still guilty. But I'm not going to put you in jail, and, and I'm going to, we're going to watch you for the next three years, however long. And as long as you don't do anything else wrong, you're not going to have to go to jail. But you're still guilty, and so if you do anything else, we're throwing you in the slammer. Or they're in prison. They've been sentenced to ten years, and after five or six, the judge says, here's the deal. You've been pretty good there. You're doing what you're supposed to do. Besides that, our prison system is getting really crowded. So because of that, I'm going to put you on parole. Now, you're still guilty. But I'm going to put you on parole. In other words, I am going to allow you to be out of prison, not serving the term that you should be serving. Even though you're still guilty, I'm going to put you on parole. But I am so glad that through Jesus Christ, when the God the Father looked down upon us and we were standing before him for judgment, that when he dropped the gavel, he didn't say, I'm putting you on probation and you're still guilty. He didn't say, I'm putting you on parole. He dropped the gavel and said not guilty sin gone penalty gone no let's none of this well, let's just see how you do because of Jesus we were declared not guilty he took our penalty he took our curse Scripture says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And and in the Bible, there are a number of verses that talk about blessing and cursing. I'm not talking about foul words. I'm talking about curses being offered. 
And the word of God said, someone who hangs on a tree is going to be cursed. And, and so he took our curse. In the Old Testament, when you look at the, the, the festivals and the activities, the, the holidays, the celebrations of the Jewish people, that God, God was using them as an example in reality. Every one of those holidays had something that God was trying to teach not only them, but us. There's one particular very unique holiday. It was known as the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would bring two goats before him. And one particular goat was known as the Azazel, the scapegoat. And what would happen is once a year during this celebration, this solemn celebration, the high priest would lay his head down on the scapegoat, the Azazel, and he would, he would confess over that goat all of the sins of the children of Israel. And symbolically, that goat was taking on the sins of the Israelites and it would be led outside of the camp. Hmm. A little over 2,000 years ago, Jesus, our Savior, was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was saying, Father, this is a tough cup. But not my will, yours be done. God the Father reached down from heaven and he laid his hand upon Jesus. And he confessed your sin, my sin, all of the sins of mankind upon Jesus. And he became our sacrificial lamb. God the Father laid his hand upon Jesus and he pronounced death. Through sin, death came, but he gave us life. He pronounced upon him sickness. Through sickness came, but upon us, he pronounced health. Upon him, he pronounced sorrow, but he gave us joy. And upon him, he pronounced turmoil and war, but he is our peace. Thank God for all those things that Jesus provided on Calvary. Some time ago, I, I found something. A number of years ago, I found something that Jesus bore on the cross for us. I didn't even realize. I didn't. I had no concept. I did just had never thought about this. This revelation was brought to me by my wife, which should be no surprise to anyone. We were talking about individuals who had who had been abused, particularly as children, often carrying a lot of guilt. In particular, we were ministering to a young lady by the name of Rondi. Rondi gives me permission to use her name. On an Easter Sunday morning, Rondi walked into Ashgrove Assembly. We had the privilege of pastoring that church for 25 years. Left that church to become the superintendent. And we were there, and, and one Sunday, Rondi walks in. I don't remember ever meeting Rondi before this moment. At the altar call, she came forward and accepted the Lord as her Lord and Savior. It was a little while later that we found out the reason that Rondi had come that Sunday was because of the fact that she had had a sister about six months before that had committed suicide. And right before she committed suicide, she had started attending Assemblies of God Church. And so Rondi was kind of just checking things out. But she got there and the presence of God came upon her. 
But for the next number of years, we ministered to Rondi because she came and she spoke with us and we discovered as she began to share and there were things that began to come to her mind that, that were come back to her remembrance. And, and here was the deal. As God began to bring healing to Rondi, here's what we discovered. That Rondi, from the time as far back as she could remember as a child, we're talking three, four years old, as long as she could remember, from the time that she could have remembrance until she left home, she was regularly, consistently, physically, emotionally, and sexually abused. I cannot even tell you some of the stories that Rondi shared with us. How that she was regularly abused, not only by her own family, but by others. And, and it was just, it just stinks. She just, it's awful. And one particular story that just overwhelmed me, though, was when Rondi shared with me one day and she said, you know, I remember one of those times, she was probably about four years old, and, and she said, I was trying to be undesirable. So she would literally not bathe just so that she could try to somehow make herself undesirable so these things wouldn't happen to her. And she said, I had gone and hid in the closet because I sensed it. Something was getting ready to happen. Something bad was getting ready to happen. And she said, I was hiding in a closet. And she said, now as I remember back, Back to that moment, I realized that while I was in that closet, there was a man in a white robe holding me. Jesus was with her. But it radically affected Ronnie. Whenever we met her, whenever she came to Christ, she saw in black and white. I've never seen anything like this before. She she saw in black and white. She did not taste her food. If you asked her what her favorite food was, she couldn't tell you because she only ate food so that she could have nourishment so she could care for her husband and her three kids. There were sounds that she did not hear. They were literally blocked out. And to the one, one of the, her most horrendous things is she had three children and to the best of her knowledge, there had never been one time in her life that she had looked at her children and said, I love you because love to her was a dirty word. But God. And we watched as God began to heal the hurts and the pains of Rondi's life. Head always bowed and looking down because she wouldn't look up. And we watched as God began to bring healing to her when she would take a walk in the woods and see the green trees and blue skies and she'd hear the little frogs peeping for the very first time in her life when she texted and said, my favorite food is shrimp because she started tasting food. But the greatest of all was when she was able to tell us for the very first time, she looked into the eyes of her children and said, I love you. And we watched as their children began to blossom and change because her mom was able to express her love. So it was while I was walking through that, ministering to Rondi and to others who had suffered similar things, that one day I was just so frustrated. And I said to Vicki, I don't understand. I don't understand why they're feeling these feelings of guilt. I, they, they didn't do it. It was done to them. And I'm just so frustrated. Why can't they just realize that and let it go? And, and my wife said, Dawn, she doesn't call me pastor real often. 
She said, Dawn, they're not experiencing guilt. They're experiencing shame. And a light came on for me. You see, shame is a painful emotion that appears as a strong sense of guilt. It's embarrassment. It's unworthiness. It's it's disgrace. It causes the person to feel worthless and dishonored and disgraced and condemned. It causes the person to literally hang their head because the shame will not allow them to look others in the eye. It causes us to feel doomed and hopeless. The pit seems too big to climb out of. And something tells us that even if we should try to get out, we don't deserve to be out of this pit. There are really two different kinds of shame. There is true shame for wrongdoing. When you hang our heads because we have been called into account for something that we did years ago that was one of our grandchildren, a little, little boy, he's older now, but he was about two or three years old. And Nana, my wife, walked into the room where he was. We have absolutely no idea what he did. But the minute she walked into the room, he just went and put himself in the corner. There's that normal shame that we sense because we've done something wrong. Now, the problem with that is when we confess that to the Lord Jesus Christ and we continue to carry the shame with us for what we have done, even though he has forgiven us. And then there's misplaced shame. In this case, someone has been a victim And they feel shame. For instance, a child who has been sexually, physically, emotionally abused or something else has happened traumatic in their life. And yet when they remember it, they're overwhelmed with this feeling of dirtiness and worthlessness. That's misplaced shame. Now, you put along with that the fact that they've been violated and then they're beginning to feel hatred toward that person and unforgiveness toward that person that has done that to them. And now they're feeling guilty for the shame of the fact that they are not forgiving that person. And it's just this vicious pit. Yes, they must forgive, but forgiveness is both a decision and a process. And sometimes the shame blocks them from even starting the process. Because you see, the only way out of that is when we come to a point where we choose to forgive. You see, forgiveness is a choice, not a feeling. One of the things that people struggle with, sometimes the reason people feel, have real troubles with forgiving is a couple of reasons. Number one, they think, well, if I, if I forgive them, that means what they did wasn't wrong. Brr, wrong answer. To forgive them does not mean that what they did was wrong. It means that you are no longer holding yourself responsible to see that they pay for what they did. I am, I am releasing you. You do not owe me anything. I am, I am not going to hold you accountable that somehow you have to repay me for what you did to me. I forgive you. But it's something else. Some people struggle with the fact, well, if I forgive them, then I have to trust them. No, you do not. Trust and forgiveness are two different things. If I laid my billfold right here and you took $100 out of my billfold, I might, I will, with the Lord's help, I will forgive you, but I will make sure my billfold is nowhere around me, around you anytime that I can. Until you have earned my trust. Forgiveness is granted, trust is earned. So Rondi was going to need to walk through, we need to walk through, in order to be able to get rid of the, the shame, we have to sometimes forgive those who have wronged us. 
I have wonderful news for you today. Jesus took our shame. Both our true shame for wrongdoing and the misplaced shame that we feel. He took our shame to the cross. When we think of the cross, there's a number of things we think about. We think about the words of Jesus as he was hanging on the cross. And he said, it is finished. In the Greek, it is actually one word. It is tetelestia. And when Jesus said that, he wasn't saying, I'm done. I I didn't expect it to turn out this way. Well, that didn't work out very good. No, when he said it is finished, if you look back in Jesus's days, there were times that that there would be you would have to pay taxes and there would actually be a tax receipt and lit, written across the tax receipt would be the Greek word tetelestia and it meant paid in full. As long as that showed paid in full, there was no more debt. When Jesus declared it is finished on the cross, he was not saying I'm done for. He is saying salvation's plan is done. It is paid in full. No need for anybody else to have to pay for their sins anytime now forever. It is finished. The tearing of the veil of the temple from top to bottom until that veil, that temple veil was torn. Only the high priest once a year could walk into the Holy of Holies. But when Jesus died, the father saw and received his sacrifice and he reached down from heaven and he ripped the veil from top to bottom. And he said, y'all come on in. Here's the welcome mat of Jesus's blood. That's why when we walked in here today and we began to worship that we could experience the presence of God because Jesus has made a way for us to come right into the very presence of God. Not just when we get to heaven, today. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken, has thou forsaken me? Jesus experienced the worst part of hell. The worst part of hell will not be the heat, the flames, nor the darkness. The worst part of hell will be the sensation of the absence of the presence of God. Even the most rank heathen today do not, does not realize that around them the presence of God is there. And they are sensing it, whether they accept it or not. But when we get to hell, it is not that God is not there where he knows what's going on, but he withdraws from those in hell the sensation of the absence. He puts upon them the sensation of the absence of the presence of God. Jesus experienced that for us. But I'd never noticed this. And I finally fully grasped this one important fact. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. This leaves very little to the imagination. The soldiers cast lots for his clothes. They, they divided his clothes, and there was this one special undergarment woven, one piece. Hey, let's not tear it. Tell you what let's do. Let's gamble for it, and we'll decide who gets this. But they took his clothes, all of his clothes, even his undergarments. I never really got that, the full purpose of that, until at this moment when this epiphany came to me, I realized Jesus hung on the cross 
in total humiliation and shame. Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So when Jesus was in the garden and he said, let this cup pass from me, I really don't believe that he was, that he was talking about his death because nonchalantly he had mentioned it to his disciples again and again. Hey guys, I'm gonna, we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. It didn't seem to affect him at all. But in the garden, something's affecting him. And I believe it is because of the fact that he is getting ready to take on the sin of mankind. The very thing that was brought abhorrence to the Father was what he was going to become. But he was willing to do that. Carrying all the shame. So that we wouldn't have to. Notice this. He took our shame. And since he took it, we don't have to carry it anymore. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 9. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like precious stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For the scripture, In the scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now there's a catch. If I asked you this morning, how many of you believe that Jesus died for everyone on the face of the earth? Past, present, future, you would all raise your hands. Yes, Jesus died for everyone. But if I asked you if everyone would be saved and spend eternity with him in heaven, you would say, no, obviously not. But what is the catch? What is the problem? The problem is, even though he freely offers his sacrifice and freely offers salvation, not everybody is going to take it. Not everybody's going to say yes to it. And I believe that what I'm talking about this morning, it is the same thing with it. Jesus carried everybody's shame, but some people will carry their shame to the grave because they never let him have it. And the irony of this is even those individuals, there will be people that are, will be in heaven, but they did not live to their fullest potential in life because all through life, they never, they let him, they let him have their heart. They asked him to forgive them, but they continued to carry the shame of what they had done. I can't imagine the frustration of Jesus when he sees believers still carrying Shame, what are you doing? I already already took that. Why? I close with this. Someone could thank you for coming. If I had a beautiful vase here today, beautiful, ornate, colorful, priceless, and I dropped it on the floor, And it broke into pieces. 
if I had the right kind of glue and the right kind of patience, if it was super glue, I'd probably glue my fingers together. But I might be able to glue it back together if I could find all the pieces. But it would forever be damaged goods. If you looked close enough, you could see the brake lines. You, you could see, ah, that, that, that used to be a really beautiful vase, but it's, it's got cracks now. Somebody broke that. They put it back together. Here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus took all of our broken pieces. And if we'll allow him to, he puts us back together. But when he gets done, He runs his hands from top to bottom and all the glue lines disappear and we're a more beautiful vessel than we were before we were broken not because of our sin and our failure but in spite of it because of Jesus' love Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to you.